AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 82 of AFF On Air. It's the 16th of April 2022. Coming up in this episode, how the war in Ukraine and the Russian airspace closure is impacting on aviation from an Australian perspective. The nightmare that has become Qantas customer service. I'll take some questions from the audience about Hawaiian Airlines award availability and more. Plus, I finally got the chance recently to fly out of the new Berlin-Brandenburg airport. If you're a long-time listener of this podcast, you may remember that this airport opened around nine years behind schedule, and it's been the butt of many jokes on this podcast and, of course, in lots of other places. But what's it actually like to fly out of that airport now that it's open? I'll share my experience with you later in this episode. But first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest Australian airline travel and loyalty program news from the past fortnight. And firstly, major airports around Australia have been overwhelmed with a surge in demand as more people travel over the Easter school holidays than at any other time in the last two years. This has been compounded by a shortage of staff, particularly security screening staff at airports like Sydney. Over the past week, travellers have described chaotic scenes at airports across the country as people have had to wait in huge queues to check in and clear security, and many people have missed their flights as a result. Some airlines have also been struggling with staff shortages and other issues, with some Qantas flights this week, for example, departing with no bags on board. Over the Easter long weekend, many Qantas flights are also departing without food on board. After two years of travel disruptions and job cuts, combined with some of the workforce still having to isolate due to COVID reasons, it seems that many parts of the aviation industry were not prepared for the large uptick in demand over Easter. There's some good news for international travellers, though, with the Australian government removing the requirement to get a pre-flight COVID-19 test to travel to Australia from next Monday. This requirement has been in place since January 2021. Anyone travelling to Australia still needs to complete a digital passenger declaration, but numerous AFF members have reported difficulties with completing the digital passenger declaration recently, so it seems there may be some teething problems since it was introduced about two months ago. From Monday, unvaccinated Australian citizens and permanent residents will also no longer need to apply for a travel restriction exemption to leave Australia, but they still may be subjected to extra quarantine requirements upon returning to Australia. The Australian federal government's ban on cruise ships will also end tomorrow. Australian passport application and renewal processing times have increased dramatically in recent weeks as more Aussies prepare to travel overseas again. In the months before Australia removed its international travel ban late last year, many people reported that their passport applications were being processed in just a few days. But demand has since picked up dramatically, no surprise there, and passport processing times are now averaging around six weeks. That's perhaps something to keep in mind if you plan to travel overseas in the next little while and your passport has less than six months of validity left on it. Virgin Australia has launched a new loyalty program for businesses called Virgin Australia Business Flyer, which replaces the previous Accelerate program. Some of the benefits of Accelerate have been retained, such as two complimentary Velocity Pilot Gold memberships for Virgin Australia Business Flyer members if they spend at least $2,000 on flights within three months of joining. The program also continues to offer various airfare discounts on flex and business class tickets. 
But the revamped loyalty program more closely mirrors the recently refreshed Qantas Business Rewards program with three membership tiers and the ability for businesses to earn points when their employees fly. The former program Accelerate did not have points or membership levels. It's free to join Virgin Australia Business Flyer if you have a uh, valid ABN. And many of the benefits are already available immediately up after your application is approved as a Tier 1 member. These include earning velocity points for the business, $20 off Virgin Australia Lounge membership and the Pilot Gold memberships. Tier 2 and 3 members earn velocity points at a higher rate. Before COVID-19 and the airline's voluntary administration, Virgin Australia also offered the club membership on an invitation-only basis to VIPs like celebrities, politicians, business leaders, and high-spending corporate customers, and this was Virgin's equivalent of Qantas Chairman's Lounge. The club has now been replaced with a new status tier called Virgin Australia Beyond, which will remain invitation-only. Beyond members will have access to three exclusive airport lounges in Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane when they reopen next week. Virgin Australia this week also extended the validity of current travel bank credits and future flight credits, which have an expiry date between now and the end of January of 2023, by up to six months. All Virgin travel bank and future flight credits will now remain valid until at least 31 January 2023, and they can be used to travel up until the 27th of December 2023. Rex has quietly amended its COVID refund guarantee to make it almost impossible to actually get a refund if you can't travel due to COVID-19 going forward. Until recently, Rex offered a refund if you needed to cancel your flight for any COVID-related reason. But on the 28th of March, Rex amended its terms and conditions so that refunds are now only offered if you can't travel due to a government-imposed lockdown or border closure. And of course, with the high vaccination rates in Australia and a change in strategy with COVID, state border closures and lockdowns are most likely now a thing of the past. So it's highly unlikely there'd be any situation where the COVID refund guarantee from Rex would actually mean you can get a refund. However, if you can't travel due to COVID-19, you can still request a travel credit from Rex without paying any service fees. You can request this using the form on the Rex website or over the phone. All Rex credits must be used within 12 months of the date when you booked your original ticket, and if you originally booked a promo or community fare, you can only redeem your credit for a flight on exactly the same route and for the same passengers as originally booked. Qantas and Virgin Australia are continuing to offer additional flexibility, allowing customers to cancel domestic bookings for a credit or change their dates without paying change fees, but this is only until the end of this month and neither airline has actually renewed this yet for domestic travel. Qantas will launch two new international destinations from Sydney later this year with non-stop flights to Seoul and Bengaluru. Qantas will fly four times per week between Sydney and Seoul in South Korea using Airbus A330-300s from the 10th of December. And four weekly Sydney to Bengaluru flights will launch on 14 September using A330-200s. Jetstar will also launch a new route from Sydney to Seoul in November using 787 Dreamliners, and that route will replace Jetstar's previous service from Gold Coast to Seoul, which is being discontinued. Qantas is receiving subsidies from the New South Wales Aviation Attraction Fund to launch these new routes, and this fund is jointly paid for by the New South Wales Government and Sydney Airport. 
Qantas has also announced a new co-chair partnership with Indian airline Indigo, which has a hub in Bengaluru. Under the co-chair partnership, Qantas customers will be able to fly with Qantas to Bengaluru, Delhi or Singapore and connect onwards with Indigo to over 50 destinations in India. Indigo is a low-cost carrier, but Qantas says that passengers booked on QF-marketed codeshare flights operated by Indigo will earn points and status credits, as well as receiving food and drinks on board and a baggage allowance. Qantas also says that tiered frequent flyers will receive some reciprocal status benefits on codeshare flights, including an additional baggage allowance, priority baggage and priority check-in. Qantas previously had a similar partnership with Jet Airways, but that airline went out of business in 2019. That particular partnership also provided the opportunity to redeem Qantas points for Jet Airways flights to and from India, but that's not being offered here with Indigo. Velocity frequent flyer members will have to wait a month longer to start earning and redeeming points and receiving reciprocal status benefits with United Airlines. In late 2021, Virgin Australia and United announced that the airlines would commence a comprehensive partnership in April of 2022, but now that it is April 2022, it's been delayed until late May. Velocity Frequent Flyer members have multiple opportunities to earn status credits on the ground this month, with the Frequent Flyer program running numerous limited-time promotions simultaneously. Until the 30th of April, you can earn 10 bonus Velocity status credits by redeeming at least 4,000 Velocity points in a single transaction at the Velocity Rewards Store, Velocity Wine Store, on Europe Car Redemptions, or on Velocity Hotels Redemptions. Also until the 30th of April, you can earn 6 Velocity status credits for any 6th car rental in Australia. And there's currently also a Virgin Money credit card sign-up offer where you can earn up to 100,000 Velocity points and 100 Velocity status credits by signing up by the 25th of April and meeting the minimum spend criteria within the first four months. YakPay has reduced its credit card fees for MasterCard payments to 0.8% plus GST for most types of MasterCard credit card payments, making YakPay now an excellent option if you want to pay the ATO or other tax bills with a MasterCard and earn full frequent flyer points on your credit card. The Westpac Altitude and St. George Amplify Rewards programs have both removed the option to transfer reward points to the Malaysian Airlines Enrich Frequent Flyer program. And American Express has reopened its airport lounges in the international terminals of Sydney and Melbourne Airport. It's good news for eligible American Express cardholders who can now use their complimentary visits again. If you held an eligible American Express credit card last year and were unable to use your complimentary visits due to the lounges in Sydney and Melbourne being closed last year, you can now also use these until the 30th of June this year. Amex has automatically carried over unused lounge visits from last year. At Sydney Airport, the Amex lounge has moved. It was previously located next to the Sky Team Lounge, but it's now moved to a larger location close to the Emirates Lounge near gates 50 to 63 in Terminal 1. And the Amex Lounge at Melbourne Airport is still in the same place on the lower level of Terminal 2. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you may recall that the construction of the new Berlin-Brandenburg Airport became a bit of a running joke. The airport opened nearly a decade late following a hilarious string of problems that you just really couldn't make up, ranging from mismanagement, poor design, a fire safety system that didn't work, and even straight-up fraud. 
The construction of BER became such a joke, in fact, that there's even now a board game in Germany where the aim of the game is to waste as many taxpayer dollars as possible constructing the airport. In case you missed all of this, I'd highly recommend a podcast made by Radio Spickhauf, which is in English. It's called How to F Up an Airport. And it's compelling listening, I have to say. It's just fascinating how many things could possibly go wrong. When the airport finally opened, I had been planning to visit on its first day in operation. Unfortunately, it ended up opening right in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic in October 2020. And obviously, it wasn't an option for me to travel from Australia to Germany for this. But I did finally manage to check out the new airport a few weeks ago when I flew with EasyJet from Berlin to Copenhagen. If you have flown out of Berlin's previous main airport, Tegel or TXL, you might remember that it was really close to the city. The famously hexagon-shaped Tegel Airport was way too small. It was completely out of its depth in terms of the number of passengers going through there, and most of the terminals were just um, fancy sheds, to be honest, but at least it was a short bus ride from the city, only about 15 minutes. Unfortunately, the new BER airport is not even located in the state of Berlin. It's in a neighbouring state, Brandenburg, and the trip to the new airport on the S-Bahn from Prenzlauerberg took me about an hour. But, unlike Tegel Airport, at least there is a direct train connection available that takes you right below the entrance to the airport. I'm a regular visitor to Berlin and also once lived there, so after years and years and years of waiting for the new airport to open, I was pretty excited to hear these words as the train approached the final stop on the S9 line. After all the problems that plagued the construction of the airport, I was genuinely expecting the airport, I have to say, to be in a terrible state. But I was surprised and, to be honest, perhaps just secretly a tiny bit disappointed that the airport honestly now looks excellent. It was modern, spacious, and it seemed to be functioning really well. From the train station, as you head upstairs, there's a shopping centre, and that's below the main check-in area, which is up another flight of stairs or escalators. And after check-in, which was seamless, you get funnelled through one of the four security checkpoints. They all then spit you out, in, of course, into a duty-free shop. And after you pass through there, there's yet more shops and a food court that you have to walk through, surprise, surprise, to get through to the gates. I guess the airport has to recoup the money that they lost (laughs) building the airport somehow. But um, yeah, at the end of the shopping area, you can also uh, clear immigration if you're traveling to a non-Schengen destination like London, Doha or Newark. Um, United Airlines just started flying to Berlin uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that's the airport's first direct flight to North America. There wasn't much of a queue at security on the Tuesday afternoon when I went through, but uh, I had a little bit of a strange experience. My tray somehow came out of the x-ray machine with someone else's wallet in it. So I had all of the rest of my stuff, but also someone's wallet that wasn't mine. And when I tried telling the security staff that someone had left their wallet in my tray, they yelled at me to put the tray back and didn't want to listen. So that was a bit of a weird experience. But anyway, if you're not flying, you can also pay three euros to go to a visitor's terrace at Berlin-Brandenburg Airport that overlooks the airfield, and there's some nice views of the runways from there. But otherwise, um, if you're flying, you can go through airside. Annoyingly, there's nowhere to fill up your water bottle in the airside area, and normally in that situation, I would fill up my bottle in one of the bathrooms, but there were news reports a few months back of the BER tap water being contaminated with bacteria and not being safe to drink which made it a little bit annoying when I found that the cheapest bottle of water I could find in the whole airport was €3.50, which works out to be $5 for 500 mils. I guess that's airport prices, but it's a little bit ridiculous to charge people that much for drinkable water. (laughs) There were plenty of uh, charging stations, though, if you wanted to charge your phone or something. 
Overall, though, I have to admit, and to be honest, I kind of don't want to admit it considering all of the, the history of this airport, but it is now a really nice airport. It's modern, functional, and honestly a huge, huge improvement over the old Tegel and Schoenefeld airports. Tegel Airport is now closed. It's being converted into an office park. Schoenefeld Airport will probably live on to see another day, though. It's still there. It's been rebranded as uh, BER Terminal 5, but there's currently not enough flights to uh, justify running that terminal at the moment. So currently all of the flights are going from Terminal 1, and we'll see if that ever reopens. If you're not already an Australian Frequent Flyer member, you're missing out on participating in Australia's largest online discussion forum for frequent flyers. The AFF Community Forum is a goldmine of useful resources on travel, loyalty programs, credit cards and so much more. You can learn and ask questions about frequent flyer points, discover unique travel tips by reading our members' trip reports, or even find a great wine deal. By becoming an Australian Frequent Flyer member, you don't just get to participate in our lively forums. You can also send messages to other AFF members, access exclusive AFF offers and services, and you'll see fewer advertisements when browsing the site. And the best part? Joining AFF is 100% free. If you're not already a member, visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au forward slash register. As you may know, I've been in Europe uh, for the last month and a half or so. One of my first stops when I arrived early in March was Ljubljana, the capital of Slovenia. Great city, by the way, and I'd highly recommend visiting for a few days if you're heading to Europe. But while I was in Ljubljana, I was staying in a hostel, and although it certainly wasn't high tourist season, the hostel was completely booked out, and I, I quickly discovered that this is because around 90% of the guests were Ukrainian women and children who'd just fled from Kiev. It just so happened that this particular group of refugees were um, schoolchildren who all played in the same orchestra and their mothers had banded together, pardon the pun, and they fled the Ukraine all as a group. Each day the children were keeping busy with schoolwork and by practicing their music, and I have to say actually they were really good. It was almost like we were being treated to a free concert every day. You're listening to some of their music now. I also spoke to some of the children and their parents, and while they were really nice and friendly, it was clear that they had been through a lot. One of the kids I spoke to for quite a long time was a girl called Olga. I'll never forget her. She was probably around 14 or 15 years old, very intelligent um, young girl, interested in music and mathematics, and she spoke English quite well. But her story was just heartbreaking. Several days before we met, she and her mum had fled Kiev without her dad, who had to stay behind, with just four suitcases between them. They travelled on really overcrowded trains for two days straight to get to Slovenia, and they had no idea whether they'd be able to stay there or what their future would hold or if they'd ever be able to go back home. It must have been just an absolutely harrowing experience, but she and the other kids were holding up really surprisingly well, and they... The amount of resilience they were displaying is just admirable. Back in Kiev, Olga told me there was a nightly curfew and if they left their homes, they'd be shot unless fleeing to a bunker. And for the week or so prior to them leaving, their apartment building in Kiev was constantly vibrating from shelling attacks. Her family was also concerned that there were Russian prisoners of war being kept in their same building that they were living and that they didn't know what would happen if they escaped. In the hostile common areas, there were also often people video calling their relatives back in Ukraine and... On the other end of the call, you could often hear air raid sirens going off in the background, so it's just, it just heartbreaking. 
This is definitely not a political podcast, and I'm definitely not here to make any political statements, so I'll spare the rest of the details, but I just thought I'd share that story with you. And um, the, the number of women, children, and elderly people who have fled the Ukraine in the last one and a half months or so is now in the millions, but I have to say, based on my experience in Slovenia and also in other parts of Europe in the last month and a half, um, it does look like the refugees are being welcomed in Europe, uh, generally with open arms, and there are, the process is in place to make it as easy as possible for them to settle where they end up in Europe seems to be quite efficient, which is really good to see. After Slovenia, I travelled to Austria and Germany, and at the main railway stations in places like Vienna, Munich and Berlin, there were large teams of people helping the refugees as they arrived from Ukraine, uh, helping them with either settling where they were, finding accommodation, giving them food and things, or helping them with onward travel. And I think given the circumstances, things seem to be about as orderly as they could possibly be. And in much of Europe, Ukrainians are also being given free train travel, which is nice to see. Towards the end of March, I took a train from Vienna to Munich, and most of the passengers on board were actually Ukrainian. The train made an unscheduled stop at the first station after we crossed the border into Germany, and we stopped there for almost an hour while the Polizei came on board and registered the Ukrainians and checked people's documents. Um, now, this is definitely not a complaint. It wasn't an inconvenience for me, and it was um, it was good to see that there were procedures in place. The police were actually very friendly, and I, I treated everyone really well, and like they were carrying people's bags and things and helping them, so it wasn't wasn't an issue at all. Just... An observation is something that stood out as being a bit unusual because um, there aren't normally border checks when travelling from Austria to Germany, but they seem to have um, the procedures set up now uh, quite well for this. By the way, from what I've heard from several Ukrainians who have recently made the journey to Europe and also from volunteers who have been at the border checkpoints, one of the charities that has had a particularly strong presence on the ground and also has been doing a lot to help make the journey easier for people fleeing is Caritas. Now, I've heard only good things about the work Caritas is doing. They seem to actually be making it a genuine difference, and they seem to be they have quite a strong presence on the ground. So if you th- are thinking about donating money to a charity that's assisting Ukrainians, uh, Caritas International might be one to consider. I just thought I'd mention that. But yeah, I'm, I'm sharing this story with you because there is a real human impact of what's happening in Ukraine right now, and um, I, I don't want to downplay that at all. It's simply awful. But this is an aviation and travel podcast, so uh, I'm going to move on and talk briefly now about the impact that this event is having on aviation. Now, one of the most obvious implications is that Ukrainian airspace is closed and Russian airspace is also now closed to many airlines from countries that have imposed similar bans on Russian planes, including all of Europe. Some airlines that aren't affected specifically by Russian airspace bans, including Qantas, are also now choosing to avoid Russian airspace anyway. And in the case of Qantas, this is probably partly because many passengers don't want to fly over Russia, and so they're mindful of this, but also uh, quite likely because of the operational challenges that would be involved if for some reason there was a plane flying over Russia and it needed to divert to an airport in Russia. What would happen then in terms of buying fuel? What would... Um, where would the passengers go? All of these considerations um, probably um, have resulted in Qantas making the decision that it's just not worth it. In the case of Qantas, the only flights that would normally overfly Russian airspace anyway are the flights to and from London. But for airlines like Finnair or any other airline that operates large numbers of flights between Europe and North Asia, this uh, airspace closure is representing some huge operational challenges. Finnair has been forced to cancel many of its flights from Helsinki to destinations in places like Japan, China and Korea that normally fly straight over Siberia. Finnair is still operating a few flights a week from Helsinki to Tokyo Narita, but the flights are now taking around four hours longer since the planes are having to fly a lot further north, pretty much over the North Pole, to avoid Russian airspace. 
This is similar to the route that was used by Finnair in the 1980s when Soviet Union airspace was off limits. At that time, Finnair gave passengers on those polar flights a certificate to congratulate them for flying over the North Pole. And interestingly enough, Finnair has now actually brought back these certificates. While it's good that Finnair is at least maintaining some sort of connection to Japan, they aren't providing any extra catering despite the increased flight time. Uh, So passengers are being told to bring extra snacks on board. And the other big implication for Australians is that Finnair's flight from Tokyo to Helsinki has now had a schedule change. Obviously, that was necessary because the flight time is longer. But the flight no longer connects on the same day on any flight uh, to any flights or from any flights between Australia and Japan. With Japan also still closed to tourists, this makes the routing from Australia to Europe via Japan practically unusable since stopping over in Tokyo for a night or two is not currently an option either if you're an Australian citizen. Hopefully Japan could open up sometime soon, but that's not currently the case. Now, of course, this is not the only implication of the war in Ukraine on aviation. Um, If you're interested to learn more about this, Wendover Productions has um, created a very good um, video. It's called The Sanction Fuel Destruction of the Russian Aviation Industry. Uh, And that talks a lot about how Russian airlines have been affected and also um, what's going on with the airspace closures and things like that. So uh, I'll link to to that video in the episode notes if you're interested. But for Australians travelling to Europe, to make matters worse, Japan Airlines has also just cancelled a whole bunch of flights between Australia and Japan up until the end of July. All flights from Melbourne to Tokyo and Arita have been cancelled now until the end of July, although Japan Airlines may add back a few services to the schedule at some point if there's demand. JAL has also just cancelled around half of its flights between Sydney and Tokyo Haneda during June and July this year, although it will still run three flights a week in June and four per week in July on that route. Until recently, Japan Airlines was one of the only Qantas frequent flyer partner airlines with a decent amount of business class award availability in and out of Australia, as you might remember from my interview with Peter Fryer last fortnight. So many Qantas frequent flyer members had used their Qantas points to book flights to Japan on Japan Airlines if they wanted to get to Europe with onward connecting flights to Europe on Finnair or on Japan Airlines uh, for travel over the upcoming European summer period. That's from June till August. Most of these flights sadly are now cancelled or the connections through Tokyo no longer work because the Finnair flight's been rescheduled. Cathay Pacific was another airline that had offered a decent amount of business class and premium economy award availability to Qantas frequent flyer members in and out of Australia, but they too have had to cancel a lot of flights recently. This means there are now fewer flights available overall to Europe, just in general, but particularly also on Qantas partner airlines with Japan Airlines, Finnair through North Asia and Cathay Pacific off limits pretty much. With many existing bookings now therefore being cancelled by the operating airline as well. This is putting even more pressure on the remaining routes to Europe via other parts of the world as people try to rebook their cancelled flights. All of this combined with a huge um, pent-up demand for travel from Australia to Europe over the upcoming July school holidays has resulted now in a sheer lack of award availability in premium cabins for Qantas frequent flyer members who want to travel overseas, particularly to Europe in the coming months. And the Award Flight Assist team has found recently that there are basically no options anymore to get to Europe and back, at least in premium cabins, using Qantas partner airlines over that July school holiday period. And in fact, it's so bad now that they've actually had to stop accepting requests for um, for travel to Europe in July using Qantas points, because um, there's simply no seats available in premium cabins. 
Now, if you have an affected classic reward booking that you had already made using Qantas points, um, for example, a flight through Japan that's now been cancelled or or through somewhere else, my advice would you my advice to you would be not to expect Qantas to automatically reaccommodate you on another suitable flight. They won't do this if it's an award booking on a partner airline. The most likely scenario is that your booking unfortunately will get cancelled and they might refund you in eight weeks. Now this is well and good, but it doesn't actually leave you with any flights. So my advice if you're if one or more of your flights to Europe does get cancelled would be to contact Qantas. Um, unfortunately, you'll probably have to call them and ask them to rebook you on another flight to Europe. Now, even if they need to make space for you on a Qantas-operated flight to London, so be it. Qantas can do this in some circumstances, but you really need to speak to the right person. And this is where the next problem lies, and it's a, I guess it's a bit of a segue into my uh, <laughs> the next topic for this episode. Now, just on this, if you are trying to rebook your flight, my advice would be to continue trying to call until you get through to somebody in Hobart or Auckland who has the skills and the authority to actually be able to help you. If you're not a Platinum member, using the 1300 number in the AFF Qantas call center long wait times thread could help with that. But as I'm sure you're probably well aware, Qantas customer service is pretty non-existent right now. Even Platinum members are sometimes now being left waiting hours on hold at the moment. Instead of getting prompt service, calling Qantas at the moment generally means hours of listening to this. Thanks for waiting. Our teams are currently assisting other customers and will be with you soon. Have you gone a little bit crazy already? Yeah, I don't blame you. I've also had to spend hours listening to this. It's painful. Qantas has had a bit of a reckoning over the past few weeks, though, over its customer service woes. The customer service has already been pretty bad for a while, but it's now become even a mainstream issue that everybody's talking about. I was astonished last week when Qantas's chief customer officer sent out an email to frequent flyers saying sorry for the long wait times, but essentially also blaming customers for the issues with the airline's customer service. Stephanie Tully said that the reason for the long wait times was that the average number of calls has increased from 7,500 to 14,000 calls per day. As borders reopened and Qantas added more flights to its schedule, though, of course more people are going to be booking flights. More people are traveling and therefore more people are trying to call. So the call volume is always going to increase. Did Qantas not expect or plan for this? I mean, what, what did they expect to happen when flights ramped up, that all their customers would just go away? The remarks from the CCO resembled those, unfortunately, made by Alan Joyce last week as well, effectively saying that customers were to blame for the call centre being overwhelmed since 60% of things people were calling about could be done online. This comment from the Qantas CEO implies that the majority of Qantas customers, the 60% is the majority <laughs> that are calling up, are either being selfish and clogging up the phone lines unnecessarily or are too stupid to manage their own bookings and would somehow prefer to wait hours and hours on hold for the chance to possibly speak to a person even though they could do it online. Now, sure, Qantas customers can theoretically go online to change their flights, to redeem flight credits, request a refund, book a classic flight reward, rebook a reward flight cancelled by the airline, select a seat or whatever, lots more as well. But all too often, the Qantas website doesn't actually let people do these things. And they, all they do is instruct customers that they have to call the contact center to resolve the issue. Quite often, Qantas is also lately failing to ticket bookings on time, leaving customers uh, to call multiple times just so that they're, particularly if it's an award booking on a partner airline, just so their ticket don't, doesn't get auto-cancelled. And yes, this is really what happens if Qantas doesn't ticket the booking within a few days. So it's a, quite a serious issue. 
But so often what happens is that uh, the ticket doesn't get issued, so the customer calls up, the staff member promises to get the booking ticketed, and then it doesn't happen, so the customer has to call up again. And the only way to get it done, it seems, um, if the booking has been somehow placed into a manual processing queue that takes weeks or months to clear, is to insist that you won't uh, hang up the phone until the ticket arrives in your inbox with a ticket number. Australian Frequent Flyer has requested comment from Qantas about the issue of tickets not being issued, but so far we have not received a response. Now, there is some good news on this front, though. There is a little glimmer of hope, and that is um, there's two things here. Firstly, Qantas is now well and truly aware of the problem. Uh, it's, it's common knowledge that Qantas has a customer service problem. The management has acknowledged this, and they've said publicly that it's now a priority for them to fix it. Now, honestly, it should have been a priority already in 2019, as the call center wait times were already unacceptable then. But, you know, better late than never. And credit where it's due, the wait times were actually quite reasonable yesterday. Now, this is maybe an anomaly due to being Good Friday. I'm not too sure what's going on, but um, yesterday, bronze members were getting through in just a few minutes. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on there, but great news if this is a sign of things to come. Most of the calls are still being answered overseas, unfortunately, where the staff are not always uh, that well trained, but at least people could get through and speak to somebody. Now, I really, really do hope this is a sign of things to come because I actually really like Qantas as a brand. I want them to succeed. There are great people working in that organization, and once you're on board their planes, with the exception perhaps of this weekend since there's no food on domestic flights, but the service is usually really good. It's just that the customer service on the ground in recent times has made it so hard to be a customer of Qantas. Now, in the meantime, if you do need to get through to the call center, the common advice is to call around 7 a.m. on a weekday. This should result, hopefully, in the shortest wait times. Finally today, there's been a bit of feedback and a few questions following the previous episode of this podcast on the AFF on-air discussion thread, which I'd like to take a bit of time now to answer. Don't forget that if you have feedback or you'd like to ask me a question, you are always welcome to post in that thread, and there's a link to the AFF on-air discussion thread in the podcast episode notes. Uh, First of all, Townsend said, thanks, Matt, another very interesting episode, although I only ever try to book one or two tickets, I picked up some good suggestions from Peter. Well, thank you very much, Townsend, appreciate that. Level 9 said, brilliant episode, ones where people talk through their experience of earning and burning are my favourites, and, and they have a suggestion for future episodes, having a guest who has recently done a challenging reward booking explain their process from earning the points, planning the trip, booking it, and taking it, sharing successes and pitfalls. Well, thanks very much for the suggestion, and um, I'm sure that we can incorporate something like this into a future episode. Revenge says, I agree, it was a great episode, really interesting interview, and he has a question. My question was... How does Peter view Hawaiian reward seat availability before calling Velocity to make a booking? Now, this is a really great question because Hawaiian Airlines award availability is one of the more difficult ones to find. You can't uh, book or search for Hawaiian availability on the Virgin Australia website. So you need to use a few workarounds to search for availability yourself if you want to do that online. Of course, you can call Velocity and ask them to search for award availability for you. But this can be a bit tedious because the agents can only check for one date and flight at a time, um, rather than seeing an overview of availability across several months. There are several other ways to do it, though, if you don't want to call Velocity. Of course, you still have to call Velocity to book, but it can save you a lot of time if you want to check for seats before you call up. Now, if you're looking specifically for flights between Australia or New Zealand and Honolulu on Hawaiian Airlines, you can use the American Airlines website. 
what is available to book uh, by Advantage, American Airlines Advantage members on Hawaiian Airlines should also be available to Velocity members. So that's a useful trick. However, the American Airlines website does not show Hawaiian Airlines award availability on domestic US flights between Hawaii and the mainland. So if you want to travel um, all the way through to the US mainland via Hawaii, um, that's not really a good option. Another method is that you can search on the Hawaiian Airlines website if you're a Hawaiian Miles member and it's free to join that program. However, this method is a bit more complicated because Hawaiian has several different categories of awards that it makes available to its own members. Members of partner airlines, like Velocity Frequent Flyer members, for example, only have access to Tier 1 awards on Hawaiian Airlines. So when searching for availability on the Hawaiian Airlines website, you need to carefully check that the number of miles being shown um, is for a Tier 1 award. So you need to cross-reference the price with the Hawaiian, Air, uh, Hawaiian Miles award chart. Now, if it's being priced as a Tier 2 or higher award, you won't be able to book it using Velocity Points, even though it's available to book using Hawaiian Miles. The final option is to use Expert Flyer. This one is probably the most accurate option, but it's a bit of a tedious process and can be a bit more time-consuming. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a bit complicated because with Expert Flyer, normally you'd use the awards and upgrades search function to search for award availability. But for some reason with Hawaiian, you instead need to do a flight availability search, the same as you would do as if you're searching for availability of paid tickets. And specify that you're looking for, if you want business class award seats, D for Delta class. Or for economy, you need to search for T for Tango class um, seats. If there is Delta for business class or Tango for economy class availability showing on Expert Flyer, you should then be able to book uh, that as a reward seat on that flight using Velocity Points. But yeah, this process, as I said, can be quite tedious because with Expert Flyer also, you need to check availability day by day, route by route. Um, and also keep in mind that Expert Flyer is a paid subscription service. It's not free. Oh, we've had some more feedback about Hawaiian Airlines. Um, Mike Barusha says, Matt, that was an awesome episode with Peter. Thank you. Especially because my goal is to fly my family of four on Hawaiian Airlines to Honolulu in a premium cabin during school holidays, which seems near impossible. But it sounds like Peter's cracked the code. I have the ability to transfer adequate points into either Velocity or Chris Flyer. How can I find out more about this strategy? Also, do you know what fare class is used for premium economy extra comfort on Hawaiian? Well, firstly, uh, you can't unfortunately use Chris Flyer Miles to book an award ticket on Hawaiian Airlines. Hawaiian Airlines is not a partner of Singapore Airlines, and I don't think Peter said that it was, but you can use Velocity Points. The main thing you can really do um, in terms of trying to find seats in school holidays is just keep an eye on availability from Sydney or Auckland to Honolulu using one of the methods that I mentioned above, probably using the American Airlines website um, in this case. Hawaiian Airlines award availability is a bit of a strange beast sometimes, like sometimes there's lots of seats, sometimes there's none, and sometimes you might um, find that there's pretty much no availability except for like one random day in the in the next year where there's five seats in business class. So it really varies. Um, they Hawaiian doesn't seem to really release that many seats, if at all. At, um, at the initial release, 330 days out from departure. But sometimes they do open up seats on a range of dates um, all at once. Like maybe they might release seats for a few months at a time, uh, say six or nine months out from departure. The, I guess the one of the things to keep in mind here is that Hawaiian Airlines award booking classes are actually this, um, used also as paid airfare booking classes. And so it's 
Uh, it's a little bit like with any other airline with um, the cheap. The cheap tickets aren't generally made available, um, you know, 12 months out when the seats are 11 months out when the seats are initially put on sale. Usually that only happens maybe six or nine months out on, on flights that are less pos- uh, popular or when, when seats go on sale. Um, so it's a little bit of a different scenario with Hawaiian. Um, it doesn't work in the same way as how water availability works with Qantas Frequent Flyer. But yeah, um, all you can really do is just keep an eye out, search regularly, and um, or if you have an expert flyer subscription, one thing you can do also is set an alert. You can set a flight or a seat alert for a range of uh, a range of dates and routes on on Hawaiian Airlines for D class availability, and that way you'll be notified if a D class seat becomes available on any of the flights that you've got alerts set for. So that is one actual strategy that you can use, other than just searching regularly. But um, yeah, it is it is tricky, that's for sure. Um, but you know, if the, hopefully your persistence will pay off. Um, also, you can't use velocity points to book an extra comfort seat on Hawaiian. Um, but if you have an economy award booking, I think you might be able to pay extra to sit in those seats. But they're not really a premium economy product. They're not a separate cabin class as such. They're just sort of extra legroom economy seats. Um, yeah, not something that you can book specifically using velocity points. And Mike says, the other question I have is, can you use velocity points to upgrade your fare class on Hawaiian Airlines, like purchase economy and upgrade to business with velocity points? Uh, unfortunately, no, this is not possible. You can only use velocity points to upgrade on Virgin Australia operated flights. Um, finally, there's a comment or a, I guess it's a comment and a question from Mel World who says, I know I'm a bit behind, but enjoyed the chat on redeeming flight, uh, points for flights until the last question where your guest said the best way to accumulate points was credit card churning. Not so good for retirees who cannot even get a credit card, let alone churn them. Maybe there are ways for retirees to get a rewards credit card as the only way I seem to be able to get any points is through flybys or from flying. Well, yes, it is uh, definitely harder for retirees to get credit cards. It's often, Unfortunately, they don't fit the bank's sort of mold for what they think a credit card applicant should look like. And sometimes the source of income for a retiree, like a self-managed super fund, for example, is uh, doesn't really fit the mold of what they think a, a kind of income should look like. That said, it's not impossible uh, to get a credit card. Um, I guess you have to choose your bank carefully as well. But um, I wrote an article on Australian Frequent Flyer about this back in 2018. And while it's now four years old, the um, a lot of the advice in the article, and there's also an AFF thread link to that article, which got a quite an interesting discussion, um, a lot of that advice is still relevant. Uh, the article is called Applying for New Credit Cards in Retirement. And I'll add a link to the episode notes, Mel World, so that you can have a read. I hope you find it informative. Well, that's all for this episode of AFF On Air. Thanks for listening and have a happy Easter. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Listener.